Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels. We're in the Santa Monica studios and we have a lot of tennis and a lot of personality to get to this week. First up, returning to the show, one of my absolute favorite guests, the incomparable one and only Andrea Pekovic. She's in town calling matches for Tennis Channel. It was a blast to catch up with her. We discussed her final exhibition match in Germany now that she's officially, officially retired. We break down the women's game, Alina Svitolina's remarkable comeback, the storylines at the top of the game, and uh, her role in coaching and mentoring, I should say, at the German Tennis Federation. A lot of storylines. She's a tennis junkie and a rising commentator as well. It's always a blast talking to Andrea Pekovic. And then Lucas Weiss, a young Canadian journalist, joins the show to discuss the National Bank Open. He's on site in Toronto, a staff writer for The Athletic. We break down all the storylines and subplots from a riveting first couple of days at the men's event. Milos Raonic has returned the homecoming for a great Canadian tennis player who's into the third round. Mofis upsets Sitsipas, Alcaraz as the standard, how he's embraced his role as the favorite. A lot to discuss on the men's side with journalist Lucas Weiss as well. But first up, it's Andrea Pekovic on Tennis Channel Inside In. Let's start the show. All right, welcome to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels from the Santa Monica Studios, joined again now, second time on the show. Probably the fastest rising announcer, definitely got some popularity on the internet going uh, with some of the calls. Did this show about six months ago, a self-proclaimed biggest tennis troll there is, Andrea Pekovic. Now you're officially, officially retired too, but welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. Yes, I am. I had my uh, last match in Bad Homburg on grass, yeah. very randomly, because grass was not my favorite surface. But um, but it was the closest to home. I, I just live half an hour away, so a lot of family and friends could come. Uh, and, and that was great. But uh, yeah, fastest announcer, I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> fastest it's rising announcer, that's your... That's your um, assessments so we do this podcast audio and video uh, and there's a reason for that now we got the logos here too and i want to just you know peek behind the curtain the show's comes out every thursday we're recording on a friday which was the same day we recorded last time it was your first real commentary week you call the match in acapulco immediately after that do you remember it was paul and fritz oh i will never forget that match the so, greek tragedy yeah well that's well we got a clip i wanted to play here okay this match is turning out to be a little bit of a Greek tragedy, Mark. Just as we know in Greek tragedies, everyone dies in the end. So hopefully... <laughs> a morbid forecast. <laughs> so hopefully this is something entirely different here. Well, I just wanted to get that into the show because that was when I think you became everyone's darling on commentary. <laughs> that match was nuts and it was... Uh, kind of a heck of a start for you in the broadcast world to call that yes it was well uh, first of all they kind of did die in the end because <laughs> yeah. both of them were cramping fritz yeah. was um, vomiting in the end so there was a whole lot going on and you know i was a bit nervous because when i came in i had worked for eurosport before and the way they do it they um they put announcers to certain matches so mm -hmm. you don't work in shifts like you do here so they and they try to put which I honestly don't like so much. They try to put women's announcers on yeah. women's matches and men announcers on men's matches. And in a tennis channel, we work in shifts. So you get the night session mm -hmm. or you get the day session. Yeah. So you just call any match. I actually, I mean, yeah, nobody's perfect. I think the best thing that tennis channel does, I know I'm biased, is giving that flexibility. Oh, women 100%. call men, men call women's matches. There, I, I get the argument of wanting to maybe pay off a long match, but it's the most fair way to do it. Everyone gets you know that couple-hour window, so they're calling the same amount of tennis. And you don't know. That's the beauty of the sport, right? You don't know how long these matches are going to be. Exactly. Well, and I think it's just from a work perspective, if I get the first... Or they want they want me hmm. to do the marquee ma women's mm -hmm. matches, for example, and they for some reason happen to be the 11 a.m. match and the second match after mm -hmm. 7 p.m. 
I will be there 15 hours waiting for yeah. two matches to call. So I think this makes much more sense. And I, as you said, I'm much more for everyone calling all the matches. I think tennis fans are tennis fans. I have never met a person <laughs> who has said, I only watch <laughs> men's tennis. No. Or on the other hand, I only watch women's tennis. I feel like people... Yeah have their faves on mm -hmm. either side. They love a Naomi Osaka yeah. or they love a Taylor Fritz. Yeah. And it's just um, all over the fans. I think tennis fans are tennis fans and that's why it's so fun that I get to call both. But before that match, I was just <laughs> under the impression, that, oh, I will just call women's <laughs> matches. I know them all. I just pick up my notebook and yeah. I have them there. And then it was Paul, Fr uh, Paul Fritz. And I was like, oh my God, I don't have any notes I know. on them. <laughs> they literally, like you mentioned it, I think it was when one of them was throwing up. Like, ah, I was kind of speaking metaphorically but now this might actually be a Greek tragedy and not to get too you know too into the weeds or get anyone in trouble but the topic that's been brought up a lot is scheduling matches and the night session of these majors whether it's fair with men and women spread out and also how late some of these go do you have an opinion on that as someone that was a player and you know had to deal with super late matches or maybe matches getting postponed or moved well, that is a very good question because I loved playing night sessions just because I'm not a m morning person. So I would love to have a little workout in the morning, rest during the day and then go out and play mm -hmm. at the night. And so and then when you win, you really don't care because you're yeah. like, oh, I don't care. I won. <laughs> I'm in the fourth round of the US Open. The thing is, it kind of piles up on you. If mm -hmm. I had it a few times, actually, the first time I made the quarter, uh, quarters at the Australian Open, I had only played night sessions. Ooh. So I was like jet-lagged almost because I had this really strange draw where I played Venus in the second round and then I played Maria yeah. Sharapova and I had all these really marquee players so I played night sessions all the time and then my quarters was against Nali at 11 a.m. the first match mm -hmm. and it was really strange for me mm -hmm. and it kind of the no sleeping or the sleeping very late yeah. sleeping far into the day and practicing very late had um, really rescheduled my whole biorhythm so I think it piles up that, that's from the personal um, perspective. I think in general, especially if you've ever been at a night session at the U.S. Open, there is really nothing like it. Yeah, yeah. There's it's just the it, atmosphere. It's interesting with like Fran France and, and Wimbledon, French Open and Wimbledon, is that they have curfews cut off the lights and then Wimbledon. Yeah. So it's almost like you have to, there's no perfect scenario. You either have to start early or cut out a day session match. But you never know if someone's going to go five sets on the men or a long three-plus-hour women's match. It's not... It's not an easy job, I'll put it that way. It's really not an easy <laughs> job. And I work as a tournament ambassador for Hamburg, and yeah. I'm uh, sitting in on the scheduling. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is really hard because we're a combined event. So we have the ATP mm -hmm. sitting on, we have the WTA there. We have all the TV executives yeah. there, either on calls or with us in the yeah. room the tournament director, and then you have the German press in there who's <laughs> like, we want the local Hamburg girl on center court. And everyone's like, well, we have also Kaspar Ruud and Andre Rublev. Yeah, well, they don't want to sure. be on court exactly, four. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Not sure if that's... Yeah. So I've been in these, mm. uh, in these programming sessions where uh, by the end, sometimes, yeah. especially when it has rained or when something went off, one uh -huh. match went really long or it rained or something yeah. had to be postponed, the nervous breakdowns I have witnessed in these <laughs> yeah. offices. So just from the other side, oh, I can tell that it's not easy yeah. and people put a lot of thought in it. The one thing I don't particularly understand is the late start on Center Court in Wimbledon. Mm. And um, I understand they want to have their lunch and then they want to stroll in. It's very celebrity driven. I understand all that. But they have run into problems so yeah. many times, I think it's time to just put it a little, you don't have to put it at 10 a.m. Nobody no. asks you to play matches at 10 a.m. Yeah. Just do it, make yeah. 12, and, it, and you would have much yeah. less, prob much fewer problems than they have. That hard, that hard curfew is tough. I know we got on a little bit of a tangent, but I did have a bunch I wanted to talk to you about since that time we were last here, and I want to talk about your official retirement in bed <laughs> Hamburg. Uh, Andrea Pekovic and Friends was the name of the event, which is just perfect. Yes. It's the perfect <laughs> vibe, perfect tone. What was it like to have that goodbye moment on home soil? So I was really excited, but in a p positive way, because I thought my real retirement has been six months ago. <laughs> I worked through my feelings. I'm not emotional anymore. <laughs> I just hope Angie Kerber can make, make <laughs> yeah. it one of my closest friends on tour. And she had had just the baby, so I wasn't yeah. sure if she could make it. And, uh, and then I got the news that she will, that she will come out for double. So I was so excited 
And I never thought about being emotional or whatever, mm. but then I walked out on court and it was three, uh, I think 3,800 people. Mm. It was fully sold out. Everyone that was there, it was bloody hot too. It was like a <laughs> hundred billion degrees. <laughs> Uh, and everyone was there, so yeah. that was that was really really fun. And I yeah. did get emotional in the end. That was sad, but uh, but also <laughs> very happy that so many people came. Well, it's awesome you had that moment, much deserved. And I do think that tennis and exhibitions, you know, take a lot of flack sometimes, deservedly so. But there's no other sport like this where you can have a moment. Like we just want to say goodbye to our favorite athletes in action with a racket in their hands. I think that's one of the, the beauties of having these opportunities to have like Yarko Neiman and had in mm -hmm. Finland back in yeah. the day and now yourself. Like it's good to have these goodbyes in the exhibition setting. It really is. So it's uh, tennis is a global sport, which mm -hmm. is great for mm -hmm. tennis because I think no matter what, you will always have a star somewhere. Like even yeah. we had that we had it in Germany where for a while after Boris Becker and <laughs> Steffi Graf, we didn't really yeah. have big stars. Tommy Haas was always injured. Mm -hmm. Nikola Kiefer had retired, and we were stuck without any stars. But that doesn't hurt <laughs> tennis because no. they have Serena Williams yeah. in America, and yeah. they have Pong Shui in China. So it doesn't yeah. really matter. So that's the great aspect. The um, for the players, the negative, it's not yeah. even a negative aspect, but the challenging aspect is that you can't retire at home, like a soccer player, right? For example, right. I know soccer the best because that's the uh -huh. biggest sport in Germany. But when a soccer player retires for the team, there is a huge celebration. Yeah. They do it on home turf. Mm -hmm. Everyone is there. It's beautiful. You don't get that as right. a tennis player that much. So I was very lucky that there is a tournament close to me mm -hmm. and that they wanted to give me that farewell. Yeah that I made it into a thing. And um, and interesting, you mentioned exhibitions because I was invited <laughs> to the Wimbledon Invitational okay. Doubles. And I agree with you. It's a tricky <laughs> tricky and slippery slope. Yeah. How do yeah. you play? Do you go full? <laughs> do you take out? So that was an experience I'm sure there, too. <laughs> I'm, there, I'm sure there's stories behind closed doors off air about players maybe going a little too hard in these exhibitions. Oh, 100%. You're like, hey. 100%. Yeah. I can't. In 10 years, I will come back okay. when, nobody, when nobody knows me in tennis anymore. I will come back and I will okay. dish really. Might have to be 20 because your commentary career yeah, is taken off. <laughs> I want to ask you how Angie's doing, though. It was good to see her out there. Like you said, so soon after having a kid. Yeah. Looks great. Like, how, how is she doing? She looks great. She is very happy. She's still planning on coming back. And I have to say... Uh, the thing that always annoyed me the most with her, she, no matter how much break she had, no matter uh, how big the difference of surface was, how big the difference of conditions were, Angie, within three minutes of hitting yeah. the ball, already felt it amazingly. So and I was the type of player who like five days needed to practice three times a day in all different weathers and all different times of the day to get a feeling for it. And she just quickly picked it up. So that yeah. was amazing. And that was the same. The only thing I have to say, she has to work on her surf because she had okay. like right. 27 double falls wow. in a row. Okay. And in the end, the people were like gasping <laughs> when she was about to surf. That was very uh, funny. But ground strokes, 100% perfect already. So just a few calibrations. That's it. Exactly. Like just a exactly. couple hits and she's back. Well, I like seeing her back. And uh, I guess it's a nice segue to just all the comebacks we've had some for the child breaks, but also just time off. Mm. I mean, Svitolina lost a heck of a match to Pagula today, but what she's done, starting with her, has just kind of been incredible. It's almost, in a weird way, she's gotten more mental strength it's coming back. Well, the Svitolina story for me really is maybe the story of the year. First of all, physically, my sister had a baby around the same time mm -hmm. as, as um, Elena, and... When Elena played her first match in Charleston, I was there watching her. You could not see that she just had a baby. And I know how my sister was feeling five months into it. So yeah. that was that was incredible. But I really felt something that I haven't seen this um, that this representative like with her when a player has a purpose in a way and you can see that she has a purpose playing for her country um a purpose playing for her daughter she just came back and she's playing like she's always played she was a grinder she was a fighter she was a mm -hmm. counter puncher and all of a sudden she's going for her shots i do have to say i think i credit some of it to raymond sloiter her new coach yeah. i think he's doing a tremendous job he already did a Really great job with Kiki Bertens before. I think he's a fantastic coach. Yeah. And uh, and you can really see her bringing her game to a new level and that purpose-driven yeah. uh, mentality that she has. It's just she's never, never 
negative. She's never shying away from yeah. from a big occasion. And what she did at Wimbledon <laughs> was really amazing. Representing her country, that's a great point. Uh, I think you know my takeaway from the outside is that when you have a child, it's a huge commitment to come back. You don't have to. You've earned the right to walk away. But if you do come back, there's no half stepping. Like you're yeah. in. Like you have to be focused. So when Naomi comes back, Wozniacki, another one, they have to come back driven or, you know, it's a competitive sport. And also you have other things clawing at you away. I do wonder, though, if this is kind of, and in a good way, obviously, becoming the new normal. So many more working mothers on tour. <laughs> well, I think, first of all, the WTA has put in, uh, into place a few new rules that supports mm -hmm. coming back, which was much harder before. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't have gotten a protected ranking so you had to go back to you know grinding mm -hmm. on the challenger tour which is much harder with a kid yeah. so i think that's the systemic part and then the other part role models right now that you see that it's yeah. possible we saw serena do it we saw we now see elena svitolina although i have to ask <laughs> myself if she now just increase the pressure on people like Caroline Wozniacki yeah. and Naomi Osaka and also Angie Kerber. Because I think they were thinking, oh, we'll come back and we'll get like, in Germany we say puppy protection phase, yeah. you know, where you're like, oh, she's just was yeah. pregnant. Like, like see, let's see what she does yeah. and then we'll reevaluate re after a year. But now Svitolina coming back so strongly. It's amazing. I think they will feel a little bit of pressure to do the same. And no, no, uh, you know, intrigue about maybe I could come back. We're seeing all these oh, veterans no. come back. No, <laughs> no. I'm I'm very happy here at Tennis Channel okay, I like to <laughs> and all that. the other endeavors that I'm uh, that I have embarked on. Yeah. So no, I, that for me that's not not a thing that I'm considering. <laughs> Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of '90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out the coco cg1 empowers you to dominate the game learn more and purchase the coco cg1 at newbalance.com morath andrea pekovic here on tennis channel inside in well uh, i mean we're catching you at a great time to start of the u.s open series what's caught your eye this week as we record this we're going into the weekend with dc los cabos obviously there's clay event in austria and we got canada around the corner so what stood out as we get on that beginning path to the u.s open well, I think two things on the men's side, Dominic team oh. reaching the finals in <laughs> yeah. Kitzbühel. I'm I'm almost more relieved than happy yeah. just that he's found. I mean, I think he has found his form. It was just um, something lacking in his mentality. Just also a, a, a bit of fear in hitting the ball so, fully yeah. after so when the we wrist get, injury. When we, and you can break this down because you've yeah. come back from injuries yourself. How much of that do you think after a certain time or is it right away where it's always kind of a mental block that you have to get over? Because the shots, especially the last couple months, we saw the shots were there. Mm. It did feel like from the outside again that the mental hurdle was his biggest challenge. It, it did. Well, and he is coached by a coach that I worked with. So I have a little bit on Intel and he at least for the last three months has been telling me that Dominic was playing incredible in practice and that he's been hitting the ball as hard as ever. But the moment he stepped on court, on the match court, mm -hmm. he would be hesitant mm -hmm. and would have uh, doubts in his mind. And yeah. when you have doubts in your mind or when you're just thinking about what you're doing, you're immediately blocking yourself. Yeah. And I do have to say one thing, all the injury, I had really terrible injuries and surgeries, but they were all sort of knee, hip, lower back thing. The injury that actually ended my career was an elbow thing. And having something on your arm mm -hmm. that you hit the ball with is a completely different mm -hmm. ball game. Because you do feel like, yes, your movement is impaired, but you do feel like if I do my exercises and if I do drills on right. court, I will get slowly, I will get my movement back, right? And you can sort of fake it with exercises, running around cones, running towards balls, stopping in, in a safe environment and then go out on the practice court yeah. and then go out on the match court. With hitting the ball, you can't mm -hmm. fake that in practice. You have to be confident yeah. in your elbow or your wrist and you have to fully hit the ball. And I realized that having an injury on your hitting arm is something completely different and I can see how it how it messed with Dummy's head because it did mess with my head. I was somebody who always loved training, hit, not so much in the gym, but hitting yeah, the ball, right. playing matches. There was always something I really enjoyed. And I lost my love for the game because I knew I was in pain mm -hmm. for at least the first half an hour before the 
you know, yeah, it got warm sure. and the f- pain subsided. So I will say that this is very different than an injury on the knee yeah. or the ankle or something similar. No, it's good to hear a pro actually say that because we suspect that and you have to have that mental hurdle. Like, am I comfortable emptying the tank? Will I re-injure this? And it's good to see and the home crowd embracing him. You played in some home tournaments. Did you feel <laughs> Did you feel that as an extra lift or maybe on the other side, did you also feel the pressure of playing at home? Oh, 100%. I have to say I never, <laughs> I played well and I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't have terrible results and I have a positive head-to-head in my Fed Cup matches. Uh, I played well in Stuttgart, not great, but I played well there. But I did play better when I was playing against the home crowd, okay, right? Because yeah. I just, uh, it would take pressure off me and yeah. it, it would put pressure on the on the other person. But you can see just how much it means to Dominic to, mm. to be electrifying this crowd. And uh, on the women's side, I have to say, also because I'm so interested in the psychological aspects of the game, very happy to see Jessie Pegula win her match mm. against Vitolina today because I do think... I know she said that she's taking the positives from yeah. her loss in Wimbledon, and I'm glad that she sees it that way. And tennis players need to be optimistic, <laughs> otherwise they yeah. will not make it on tour. But I was worried that that loss against Vondrashova, where she had break points to go up 5-1 in the third, and then Vondrashova winning the title, that can sometimes yeah. do something, some yeah. damage psychologically to it, tennis it's players. It's a tough one for Jesse because... I don't know that anything can happen until the U.S. Open where we're, we're just tabling the conversation until then. Yeah. She handles her business in these tournaments. She does well. She makes deep runs. But it's that 0-6 number in quarterfinals. Yeah. That's the, and it's tough because you're playing the, the very best in a lot of cases. But it's what she can do to get over that hump. And she seems pretty positive. She's a fighter as well. Mm. But it's it's a tough one. Her, Coco, Goff on the court. You know, there's a lot of players, especially the ones that haven't won major. Mm. Maria Sakari won today. They have to find a way to stay positive yeah. and just trust the process that their time will come. I know it's, and that's so hard yeah. because that's a, such a trite <laughs> statement that yeah. you hear. Like I would yeah. say that to myself, my coaches would say <laughs> yeah. that to myself. I say it to my players. <laughs> now I'm mentoring a few yeah, young girls for yeah. the German tennis federation. I say that to them all the time because yeah. it's true. That's why it is. That's why it is a cliche because there is some truth to it. And, um, but I was really, cause I was worried that she might um, lose her edge and start losing early and then you're really in trouble when you stop winning those matches that you have been because she still has to win those matches that we just take for granted now right yeah she definitely does uh the the top of the women's game is fascinating because Iga, defending champ french open champ like has been the player Mm. we're still kind of not and again no disrespect to Iga, but we're in that point where it's an interesting time Women's tennis still doesn't for sure, for sure have the top player. <laughs> like you can look at eras and it's always been defined by one or yeah. two players. Iga going to defend a title. Sabalenka, who won a major but has had a couple tough losses. Mm-hmm. Rabakina's there. Anjibor, who just can't get that major yeah. final win. It's an interesting time at the top, and New York is going to, you know, answer some of these questions, but I'm sure there'll still be more to, more to be had. <laughs> well, that's, it is, it's so interesting, and I, I was so excited at the beginning of the year when Sabalenka won the Australian Open because I know from my personal experience and just from watching tennis for 20 years now almost how important <laughs> rivalries are, right? Mm-hmm. And I was worried that if Iga Swiatek just dominates the tour for the <laughs> next three, four years that she won't get better and she won't improve as a tennis well, we're player. Well, we're having that that worry on the men's side now like let's see who can challenge <laughs> exactly. carlitos you know? exactly exactly yeah. and that is a danger because yeah. if we um put ourselves back mm-hmm. into the shoes of 2008 2009 2010 when roger federer uh broke pete sampras's number if rafael nadal hadn't appeared on tour if uh, J- novak Djokovic hadn't appeared he would have stopped at 70 percent a hundred percent we would have never seen these numbers and that's uh that's just the most important thing, not only in sports, I believe in politics and art, wherever to make something mm-hmm. really great to create masterpieces or to become the yeah. best at what you do, you need those rivalries. So I was so excited uh, when Sabalenka mm. and Rybakina found uh, their consistency and started winning those big tournaments. And it looked like it during <laughs> Indian Wells and Miami, yeah. but you still have that weird one off, right? Yeah. Like Vondrashova winning Wimbledon. Even though when you look at the quarters, it was all ta- the top oh, yeah. players were in the 
the quarters, yeah. but you still have that weird one off. So I wonder when this solidity of the men's yeah. tour from the last 10, 15 years will, will settle into the women's tour as well. Did you notice as someone that's on the taller side, but did you notice towards the end of your career, the game at the top kind of got a little taller? It, like it didn't it seem that way. Oh, a hundred percent. I will tell you two things. So the yeah. number one thing is that I was one of the tallest players when I yeah. came on tour, and I was in the lower average of the top hundred when I wow. retired. See, that's yeah. yeah. There was a few back then taller than yourself, but now it just seems like the crop yes. of these players are. Just, it's crazy. It was yeah. Maria Sharapova. Yeah. Maybe Anna Ivanovich by a, a smut like yeah. half an inch. And that was it. Now, <laughs> if you look at the top 10, I yeah. think most of them are taller than me. Yeah. And the other thing, and I was talking yeah. on air with Mark Petchy yesterday a bit about it. We had a lot of yeah. time. There was a lot of rain mm -hmm. delay. So we had a lot of topics we talked about. But I, so my tennis, whoever has watched me knows maybe that I had limitations in my tennis game. I was just very meticulous worker mm -hmm. and I was the, one of the first athletes on tour yeah. and that was my one up on the other women right, right. because i was um i was strong i was powerful i was quick and i was endurant i had kind of the the four things <laughs> that you need as a as a tennis player uh, agility wise maybe not the <laughs> best but yeah. i had the other four and uh, and i was top 10 twice in the world mm -hmm. i had a great career i played the semifinals of the french open all well and nice I don't think I could have had the same career if wow. I came on tour today because I do think that the top 30, all of them are athletes well, now. Yeah, I, I don't, you, do, you shouldn't short, short change yourself too much because <laughs> when we have these era talks, things would have changed in your world too. Your that's training true. would have been a little yeah. different. It could have been better, could have been worse, but mm. we'll never know. Yeah, so just that's accept, true. That's you know. true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah, you'll never know. That's true. It's it's the what ifs yeah. and whatnots. But um, I just think it would have been harder mm -hmm. for me. And you're right. Maybe my technique would have mm -hmm. gotten a bit smoother mm -hmm. with all the help of technology or and pushed video. like these. Like you're saying, like maybe you get pushed more and you have to put in more right. work and more training yeah, too. Yeah, exactly. Uh, one other thing on just the men's side, I was looking at the rankings, and as we go on this path. It's kind of fascinating for that number four spot. You have Joke, you have Alcaraz, Djokovic, one, two, pretty much locked in. Medvedev's yeah. in the three spot, mm -hmm. but it's Sitsipas, Rude, Runa, and Rublev are right there. Mm -hmm. So this summer series, I'm actually looking to see who's going to get their own, you know, section yeah. of the draw. And of those names, does anybody stand out to you for good or for for not so good? Well, um, standing out for good is Holger Runa to mm -hmm. me. I do think he has an incredible foundation. Uh, that he can build on. He's still very young, and he has that grit, and he has yeah. that. <laughs> Carlos is better than me now. No way. That's how it. You feels, have to have right? that irrational confidence. Exactly. Though. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but it just feels like to me, like he's looking at it, and he's like, I can't believe mm -hmm. that this guy won two majors before me. That's yeah. how it feels yeah. to me, and that's what you need, right? Um, I do feel Tsitsipas needs a change. In his, I don't know if he's in his coaching team or if he just has to give a little bit more power to to Mark Filipusis, who's mm -hmm. now back in the team. Mm -hmm. I've heard so. Um, it's just he has stagnated over yeah. the last year in his game, and I know that he he wants to play well, and he has really one of the best forehands I have ever seen <laughs> yeah. in my entire life. Not only the way he hits it and how he can generate pace yeah. and spin and rotation, but also how quickly he runs up to the ball when he does have a short ball is really never been seen before, mm -hmm. I think. Maybe Roger can do it the same way. So I really hope that he evolves the other side of his game, mm -hmm. maybe incorporates the slice a bit more yeah. like Roger used to do so he gets the time to run around and use his forehand and um, I, I, I'll tell you what, I watched the Hamburg finals between Zverev and Jere, and I was very impressed with how Zverev was playing again. I think he was Could be playing back in the even, mix too, yeah. Yeah, I think he was playing even better than he was at the French Open where, yeah. where he made the semifinals. So he's, um, he's also very dangerous still because he still has that hunger and uh, you can't count him out fully. Let's see. It's an exciting <laughs> era. It really yeah. is. I would put my money, if I had to put my money on anybody, it would be Holger Rune because one. I just see the least mm. limits in his game. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you never know. There are so <laughs> many aspects to tennis, and that's why it's the best sport it in is, the world. It is the best. <laughs> There's a lot to be excited about. Before we wrap this up, you alluded to it, but are we in the coaching circle now? Or are we just working with some German players? <laughs> you have to help me pronounce her last name, but you were with Noma Noah um, Akugwe, yes. who made that run yes. to the final of the tournament. It was a, a sensational run. Um, but at the same time, 
I read some of your quotes where you're like, this process is good that it's slow. It's yes. good that she takes time and makes the steps, the baby steps to get there because she's so young. What are your thoughts on, I guess, her game, her development? What role have you had in, in working with the young player? Well, so I my role is um, the mentor of the German Tennis Federation for exactly that type of player, somebody mm -hmm. who has just arrived on tour like Noma. Mm -hmm. Um, we have a few others. Yule Niemeyer is the la like the oldest of these players yeah. that is still in my department, so so I still take care. And I'm sort of like you know um, you know that person at <laughs> dinner that always eats the rest of everyone else. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that's my role, yeah. kind of. So when somebody doesn't have a coach or is in between coaches, yeah. I swoop in, I help out. Yeah. Um, or if, for example, Yule's coach does a lot of TV in Germany, so when he's working yeah. TV, I help her okay. out. So that's kind yeah. of my role. They sometimes call me to ask for really dumb things like <laughs> tournament scheduling or like, hey, should I take yeah. this electrolyte? Wow. So basically wow. from A to Z, I'm there for everything. And Noma is in between coaches right okay. now. So that's why since Berlin, I've been working a bit closer yeah. with her. And she has so much potential. It is insane. And I, when I know how much she wanted to win that tournament, but when she lost and I really wanted her to win, but when she lost, I was almost relieved because I could also already smell the German press. Expectations. Like, yeah. 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 They were yeah. like sharks already, like <laughs> just smelling the blood and just waiting for that little piece of meat that, you know, gets dropped into yeah. the ocean. And so I was almost relieved that, that she has a bit more time to, yeah. to develop a few more features in her game yeah. and also in calm and peace without yeah. the pressures of German media losing, going crazy because we have possibly right. a new German star. So you're like the handy woman when there's a problem. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the electrolyte thing is actually like, you know, we see it a lot and I don't think anybody outside the actual players fully understands just how much preparation, especially now with yeah. how hot it is, yeah. you really have to put the work in on your diet and on your training and rest beforehand. We've seen the unfortunate circumstances of players not doing that, and it hasn't yeah. been pretty. Well, uh, I don't know if you've ever read um, Pete Sampras's open letter to his younger self. Yeah, yeah. That was an amazing <laughs> piece, uh, to me, an amazing piece <laughs> of literature, not yeah. only of tennis history, but there is one passage where he says um that night when you couldn't eat you should have eaten or something like this <laughs> it's because too late. then yeah then it's <laughs> yeah. too late the next day and for example one of the things and it's so simple and so on the hand but they are young they don't know this that i implemented mm. with noma she would sometimes cramp because she was so nervous before matches that she wouldn't eat or she would just eat like three leaves That's of salad. That's such a good point. I mean, people don't fully understand that sometimes cramps, a lot of times they're nerve related. Yes, until nerve until related. Alcaraz exactly, exactly. said that, yes. a lot of people didn't realize that was even a thing. Very much so. Or nerve related before the match mm -hmm. where you're like, you have a bit yeah. more tension, your yeah. muscles are already under tension. And then on top of that, they uh, can't eat, the players can't yeah. eat because they are so nervous before right. the match. And Noma had that. And so just having her eat during the matches, eat mm -hmm. before. These simple things can already make <laughs> yeah. a big difference have, if it's yeah. four, 400 degrees out there. And now with climate change, I mean, let's not get into it. Although <laughs> yesterday we were kind of weather channel with all those rain delays. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's just getting it's getting hotter, not not um, less hot. So th these are s little things that if they, the players trust you and you can implement those things, mm -hmm. they are very important. Well, you've been very generous with your time, Andrea Pekovic, here on Tennis Channel Inside In. I had a couple quick hitters before we let you call matches with Mark Peck, Pecci, <laughs> a pro's pro who can just handle everything. <laughs> you know, the topic that came up recently in the news front again was how cold handshakes are. Mm. And I did want to bring up a piece of literature okay. that you brought up about the definition of what <laughs> a really cold handshake is. Um, Giselle Dolko, I grew up a fan. So, so this story is great. You know, my favorite tennis memory playing her in Tokyo, she went for an air kiss. I went for a hug and you guys ended up almost making out in yeah. front of three fans <laughs> in Tokyo. That was the best. It really is. I think people thought I was exaggerating to make a point on Twitter or X or whatever it's yeah. called now. I really think this is my favorite tennis memory because every time I think of it, it yeah. makes me laugh so yeah. much. Just the confused look on the Japanese, like three people that were in the audience. We played on an outside yeah. court. It had rained. It was similar yeah. like a day to day where it had rained the day before. So they played 10 matches uh -huh. at the same time yeah. at 10 a.m. And uh, my coach just being so 
also yeah. so confused like what is happening so it yeah. always makes me laugh and it will stay my favorite memory of all time just have to be there i guess <laughs> yeah. that's the rule you have to show up at 10 a.m yeah. and uh you know look i mean we couldn't find the footage of it but yes, you know. and, and and serious this is like you guys are all competitors it's not always going to be you're not thrilled you lost so yeah. sometimes it might just be a drive-by with nothing personal behind it yeah, well, and I do think that sometimes you can see um, if you watch a match closely, like somebody calling a medical timeout and not a pertinent mm -hmm. time, and then the handshake being a little cold. Mm -hmm. I think you c you mm -hmm. do, yeah. um, or you can interpret something into uh, colder handshakes, and then other times it's just, just happens. Yeah. I have to say, like the most impressive thing I've seen over the course of the last five days is Sebastian Ofner. Fully like that was looking the other guy in the, uh, in the eye, shaking his hand, hugging him like, hey, well done, man. After being up 6-3, up 5 How long would zero. that stick with you? I mean, I think it would never leave me ever. I think it was this is That's, like, I don't yeah. know how he's coping. He needs three sports psychologists after that loss. But I had so much respect mm -hmm. for him for just shaking uh, the other guy's hands. Malt, I think it was Alex Maltzan. Yeah. Just shaking his hand, <laughs> tapping his back. I was like... You yeah. go, boyfriend, because this is <laughs> impressive. <laughs> wow, that's, yeah, that's some, some sage advice. I hope he bounces back from a tough loss. And the last thing I have from the video wall, you're a sailor now? <laughs> that was very good. Yeah. Uh, that was my favorite thing. That's Eva Lise, that right? Yeah, shout out to her, made her first main draw this year. Another one of the players you're kind of looking after. Exactly. But what, what was, what was this day like? I mean, what were the vibes like? Was there music? Did you have some drinks on there? No, like, no? I wish, I wish. Unfortunately, it was more like a photo op. Okay. And I tried to make, and actually it was really interesting. So the woman next to me is Sandra Reichel. She's the tournament director of uh, the Hamburg European open and then okay. in the back those because um inclusivity is very important for her so we had wheelchair tennis okay. and the women who are doing the sailing for us because obviously we <laughs> don't know how to sail um one was deaf one was blind okay. and um so there was it was really amazing they were amazing and i pushed for us to go further maybe into the north sea and never come back unfortunately <laughs> if alice didn't want to come okay. with me because she had to play the next day but okay. that's the Fair cool yeah. thing about this tournament they okay. always try to do it a bit differently so a photo op not a professional sailor uh, but you know not yet not yet, not yet. maybe a sailing course and on the way well andre pekovic just was a blast always good catching up talking tennis uh, i guess we can go with there i mean now that you're officially officially retired commentary i know you're doing writing you're just taking on more gigs it seems like you're busier than ever now I am busier than ever now, and it's just the curse of saying yes to everything, which is also a blessing, mm -hmm. and I'm glad I did that when I retired, because I, I was able to dabble my toes in different waters mm -hmm. and, and um, try things out, um, and so now I know what I like, what I don't mm -hmm. like so much, and, um, and I think it will... Ah, it probably won't be common in the future, because <laughs> I just like working, yeah. and I love tennis, and yeah. it's hard for me to stay away. Do you have a piece of advice for players, athletes of any sport going through that transition, how to manage it, how to take on tasks and how to just get used to, for lack of a better term, civilian life? Mm. So actually two, number one, I would say you have to go through it because in the beginning, um, when I felt the retirement was coming up, I was trying to push away the feelings and just mm -hmm. trying to ignore it best I can. Um, and then when I finally started going through it and going through the grief, because it is a grief, it, grieving process, mm -hmm. you're, you're losing a part of your identity. I, since I'm 12 years old, when mm -hmm. people ask me who I was, I was always saying a tennis player and now I'm not anymore. So I do think it's a grieving process and you have to accept it and let it flow through you and be sad and angry and all those emotions. And then once that is over and you are ready to move into a next thing, um, if you want to stay, stay with the sport, I think um, sharing your experience, yeah. what I try to do, is uh, it's, it's something beautiful to give because sometimes I feel like, well, uh, I didn't really contribute to society as a tennis player <laughs> and I'm not sure if I'm contributing now, <laughs> you know, as an analyst but or as a mentor for some, some yeah. girls. But I think if you can share your experience and that's something that only you have, I mm -hmm. think that is uh, a beautiful contribution for the generations to come afterwards. And I really do love tennis. Yeah. I really think it's the most beautiful sport mm -hmm. in the world. And I also strongly 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 believe 
it should be the second biggest sport in the world at least mm. and maybe we can also push off soccer from the mm. throne mm. but i know in america the um the sports uh, sections are a little bit different than yeah. in europe but um but i strongly believe that in any region tennis should be higher than it is right now yeah. and that's something that i want to contribute to in any possible way well, you're paying it forward, helping the next generation, <laughs> staying involved in the game you love. We, we all appreciate having you here. One of the most popular, as I said at the beginning, commentators <laughs> here. And uh, we picked, you know, the most suitable quote from the broadcast clip. There were some other inside jokes we didn't have to get to. <laughs> but we did see those as That's well. That's for the next one. That's for the next yeah. one. Andrea Peck, but thanks so much for coming on Tennis Channel Inside In. Thank you, Mitch. That was amazing. All right, huge thanks to Andrea Pekovic. She's truly one of a kind. It's never a dull experience, never a dull moment with her. She is somebody that always brings the energy and speaks things into existence. Mark Philpoussis is working with the Greek Sitsipas full-time. So, uh, yeah, uh, Petko knows her stuff, and uh, we'll be back chatting with her in the near future for sure. Right now we go to an on-site correspondent at the National Bank Open in Toronto. Lucas Weiss is a young staff editor for The Athletic. He's on site for the men's event in Canada. We have a lot to break down. We discuss Milos Raonic, the hometown hero, into the third round, and probably Carlos Alcaraz as the top dog, Holger Runa and Andre Rublev crashing out, along with Andy Murray continuing to fight and Gael Monfils winning and Medvedev just lurking as usual. Here's Lucas Weiss now, young journalist on Tennis Channel Inside and breaking down all the men's action in Canada. All right, now joining us on Tennis Channel Inside and from the grounds in Toronto on site for the men's action of the National Bank Open, a staff editor for The Athletic, a seasoned but still young play-by-play guy, Lucas Weiss joining the show for the first time. Lucas, good to be having you on the show talking some tennis. Uh, how you doing, man? I'm great, Mitch. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been a great few days here on the grounds at the National Bank Open. We're at, uh, as as we're recording this podcast, round of 16 action on Thursday. So it's going to be an interesting conclusion to see who ends up winning the championship on Sunday. Yeah, I I really do uh, love this tournament for a lot of reasons. It's the real kickoff, the biggest kickoff to the U.S. Open Series. We've also got, uh, you know, the split format of the men in one city, the women in another, Toronto, Montreal, alternating. But I know you're, you've got the Canadian roots, and I know how important tennis is to you. But this tournament in particular, what does it mean to you to be just a fan of it, now also covering it? But, you know, it's been a couple years, obviously, since we've had the full post-COVID feel. So what's the event been like for, from your experience? Yeah, this event means a lot to me personally. It was the first sporting event I ever went to as a kid back in 2003 that I remember and have been following it for many years, seeing some of the greats come and play here in Toronto, like Roger Federer, Rafa Nadal, Novak Djokovic, Serena Williams. And now covering the tournament, I've been covering this event since 2019 when Bianca won for for, for the Canadian Open. And of course, seen last year Simone Halep win and then who knows who's going to lift the trophy this mm-hmm. year but it's fascinating because it's we're at this transition point particularly in the men's game where Roger Federer is retired Rafa Nadal it, probably not going to be playing very long on the tour Novak Djokovic still going strong but isn't here most yeah. likely just focusing on slams for the rest of his career. So we're finally seeing this new generation of tennis players. And I got to tell you, it's really exciting. And, and obviously Carlos Alcaraz, two-time slam champion headlines that, but there's many younger guys yeah. like Yannick Sinner, Holger Rune, Casper Ruud, among others. So it's an exciting time for men's tennis. And it's certainly been an interesting start to the week here in Toronto. Yeah, that's a great point. Halep and Karina Busta win the tournament last year. Both not yeah. here. Both not here to defend it, which I can't even remember the last time at a Masters event that that's happened. But this is a transitional period. Uh, before we go on to the tennis, I have to say one of my favorite traditions, also probably because I'm also a hockey fan, is the ball hockey beforehand when you get the NHL players out here. So just from your perspective, you know, covering it and also you know watching it, and being a fan, who stood out? Like, whose ball hockey game has stood out from the tennis side? Oh, I got to say Kasparud. I mean, he 
he's a big golf guy, but he was definitely showcasing some of that ball hockey skills. And, and not only has, has that been impressive, Mitch, but the players and their doodles after the match <laughs> yeah. in the camera. We saw Casper Rude draw a really nice Canadian flag. Yeah. And then last night, Marcos Giron yeah. raised him with drawing a moose yeah. in the camera. So we've seen some fascinating artwork. We've also seen some of the players uh, try to sing the, the Canadian national anthem, which has created some compelling content mm-hmm. on social media. So the players love this event. They love coming to Canada, and the fans are really enjoying yep. it as well. Yes, for Rude with that hockey background makes sense. His hands of the yep. golf, obviously, pretty good. Uh, starting with the Canadian side of things, it, there's a lot of pressure here, and uh, it's pointed out a lot. Don't think it gets you know enough just to. This is the only chance these players have to play at home. It's taken for granted in other countries. In America, obviously, you have different tournaments. This is it on the calendar. The fans are there. There comes with pressure. Some have handled it well. Some, you know, have struggled and lost early. Got to start with Milos Raonic, though. He's into the third round back for what might be a last dance for him. He said he's going to have a conversation at the end of the year. But he's into the third round, beats Tiafo in a stunning match, keeps it going over Taro Daniel. And, Lucas, we got to start with 52 aces in two matches. Like, if you want to know why Milos is the player that he's been, it's that serving number. Misses all that time, but is still firing a man and gets to the third round behind some of the most stellar serving he's had in a long time. His serving looks really good. And it's funny because before the tournament, Milo said that his game, he felt like was reminiscent to how he played two to three years ago. The big question was, how is that going to transfer over to real matches? And boy, has it transferred over. I mean, the fact that he's serving well, he seems to be moving well. The ground strokes appear to be clicking as well, particularly in that match uh, yesterday, uh, Wednesday against Taro Daniel. So I think for Milos, he's just gaining more confidence. He's soaking up this moment because I don't think there, there's a lot of pressure there, Mitch, for him. I mean, he's he, he has nothing left to prove. He's someone that was number three in the world, which is the highest for any Canadian man or woman on the uh, in professional tennis. And the fact that he's playing... 10 minutes from where he grew up, he said after before the second round, after a practice, that he would go over to his parents' place and play with his dog. So he's just very calm, and I just think that that calmness, that resolve, is going to continue for him and hopefully it will allow him to to maybe get into the quarterfinals. Yeah, I can't speak highly enough about how he handled, you know, losing that first set to Tiafa on a, a rule that none of us really knew existed, but... Dealing with that adversity, coming back, beating a top 10 player, remarkable stuff. He looks like he has something left in the tank. How his body responds is going to be the you know the key thing, obviously, of how he keeps going. But Milos looking strong. You know, the pressure thing, getting back to that. Are you surprised that you know, a guy like Felix struggles, loses early? Bianca Andrescu on the women's side. We know Layla Fernandez is still in it, but the pressure is a real thing. Are you surprised that it's you know kind of gotten to some of these big names? A little bit. I mean, certainly Bianca. She had, she had a tough draw taking on Camila Georgie, who, who won in Montreal the last time the tournament was staged there. And, and it felt like Bianca was trending in the right direction after a Wimbledon where she hung in there with Ons Jabur. It was just a matter of a couple points that went Jabur's way that decided that match. But you could tell Bianca was, was, was quite upset, and rightfully so, after losing the first round in, in her home tournament. I think for Felix it's just more disappointing, right? The fact with him is that he hasn't won an ATP tour level match since the Leon open in May. Mm. And he said before the tournament that he felt confident. He, he felt like he got over some of the injury issues that he was dealing with earlier in the season, that he was practicing well, and that he put high expectations on himself. But when he faced Australian Max Purcell, who's, who's a difficult player, it just felt Felix was a bit flat. His serve wasn't dialed. And particularly on the baseline, he just couldn't find that out shot, right, to yeah. find a way to win some of those lawn rallies. So for Felix, it's just back to the drawing board. He said after the match that he feels like if he can get one win, mm-hmm. it will just provide so much confidence for him. The question is, how do you do that, right? Yeah. And how do you gain confidence when you just don't have the match experience right now? Yeah, the, the last two, I mean, Casper Rude match last year in, in Canada, and now this one, it's been kind of tough. You do feel like he can gain some momentum, but he's been stuck in neutral. 
Got to give, got to give a shout out though to Leila Fernandez though. I know we're focused yes. on the men, and and her win overhead at my yesterday was great. Also, don't really know many tennis players that bring the crowd in as well as she does. She really does get them involved. Oh, she loves the crowd. <laughs> yeah. We saw that, of course, at the 2021 U.S. Open when she made the final, and I think that was a huge win for Leila Fernandez because she faced Beatrice Haddad Maya last year in Toronto. Haddad Maya won en route to go into the final, and for Leila. She's, again, been one of those players where she's been in these tight matches but hasn't been able to close out. For her to finally do that mm-hmm. yesterday, so much confidence yeah. for her going forward. Difficult matchup coming, though, against Danielle Collins, the, the American who battled her way through qualifying to get to the round of 16. But yeah. with that crowd yeah. support behind Layla yeah. Fernandez, I think that's going to be a, her secret weapon to try yeah. to get to the quarterfinals. That's going to be a rock fight, those two, just just two no question. It's going to be fun to watch. Uh, uh, focusing Lucas on you know the man that's at the top of the game right now, Carlos Alcaraz. You know he beats Ben Shelton, the uh, American who made the quarterfinals at Australia, has a lot of flair and a lot of potential in his game. What stands out to me when you watch Alcaraz win a match like that was first match, you know, first real big tournament test after Wimbledon. Not his best level, but he finds a way to win. Mark Petchy brought that up on the broadcast that. This is what separates the best players. It's getting through when you're in the winning business, not having your best stuff. So Alcaraz has a much higher ceiling. We will assuredly see it, but he got through without his best stuff in straight sets. Yeah, look, you think of this match, you look at the score, 6-3, 7-6, and you think, okay, a routine Carlos Alcaraz win, but let's give Ben Shelton some flowers. He, <laughs> play, he played a heck of a match. Mm-hmm. Shelton, five aces, winning 70% of his first serves. You know, the fact of the matter for, for Shelton, he just couldn't get a break mm-hmm. of Alcaraz's serve. And Alcaraz, it was just only one break in the whole match. So it was a really high level match. But I think for Carlos, he just finds a way to win those clutch points, right? I mean, Shelton had those three break points, chances that I just mentioned, couldn't convert any of them. Yeah. That's what separates the top players, being able to win the critical points and that's what Carlos did yesterday but I was just so enamored with the crowd support for Carlos I mean he's 20 years old coming off a Wimbledon win two slams but the fact of the matter is he is a fan favorite here in Toronto he's already beloved here in Canada you saw that when he practiced with Daniil Medvedev and Holger Runa fans were standing up cheering for Carlos you're already seeing Spanish flags around the stadium supporting him and you can just see how much it means to him that he can just inspire and be a face of the next generation of young tennis fans so young already just at 20 years old already an international superstar he's getting that big three big four treatment which is great to see and yeah I mean look Ben Shelton I'm still super high on the potentials there he's got to work on that return game you know, lower yep. in the lower in the stats of getting breaks and gave a lot of you know second serve free points to Alcaraz, but the potential is there. So, look, Alcaraz is is on par, and and look, it is like we've talked about. Your job is to win matches and get through. We saw that on the opposite side yesterday too, as we record this. Holger Runa loses to Marcos Garon. Andre Rublev loses to Mackie McDonald. A great day for some former UCLA Bruins, but. This is an opportunity to really gain momentum for the top guys. And for Holger and Rublev, it just didn't happen. I, I want to focus on Holger first because he, I think there's so much in his game. I think he could be the number two behind Alcaraz long term. But he's still also learning how to be a pro. That's what I see in a match like that is that there's still a learning curve that he's on. 100% agree. I think for Holger, he 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 brings this powerful game. I mean, I, I was watching it up close, and, and, and some of the ground strokes that he hits, it just is mesmerizing to watch, just the pace and the power on them. But I think with Holger yesterday, the serve got to him. I mean, 12 double faults, right? I mean, only winning 63% of your first serve points, you know, that's something where he just needs to clean that up. Right. But let's give Marcos Jerome his flowers, you know, going through qualifying to get to this point, yeah. second career top 10 win for him. And both of them have come against Bulgaruna. Yeah. And, and of course it's just interesting because I think for Jerome, he had to deal with 
Holgerun's speeding up the serve and, and try to throw in throwing him off. Yeah. But he dealt with that. Mm-hmm. He got the crowd behind him and was able to pull out the win. So I do think for Holger, though, he, he is trending in the right direction. I just think sometimes yeah. in a match, there are some lulls yeah. and he loses focus. And I think if he gets that clarity and sh- mental sharpness, he can definitely go far because he has the game. Just so funny to me thinking about how the race for the number four player in the world is so tight. And three of them, <laughs> and three of them, three of the four players lost yesterday. So here comes Casparu, just like I'll, I'll be number four again. Yeah. Um, no, it's true. I mean, and it also highlights the fact that this is the first step up in competition. You switch surfaces. This is a unique thing about tennis. You have to calibrate your game so many different times. There's not an off season and then let's just hit the ground running necessarily. You have to adjust for surface, for court conditions, and it's a learning curve. It also makes guys like the big three and also Alcaraz so special that they can just show up new surface, no problem. Oh, for sure. I mean, and I think there's a lot of factors to travel, rust, you know, jet lag. I mean, whether you played last week in Washington or not, I mean, I mean, there's always these factors, but I you're absolutely right. I think the greats of this game know how to deal with that and, and just can seem to, to come on, you know, different courts, different venues and just raise their game. And mm-hmm. even if they're not playing their best, like at Carlos Alcaraz, I still think we're seeing, we're waiting for the best of him to come back. He still can find a way to yeah. win and in, in, in straight sets. So it, it just shows you the fine lines between, you know, all time greats and then still really good players is, you know, being able to be adaptable on, on all services and showcase an all around game. More with Lucas Weiss here on Tennis Channel Inside and want to give some love now at the National Bank Open to some veterans. Gail Monfils is at the top of that list into the third round. Beats Sitsipas, gets a top five win first in a couple of years for him. And we can talk about Sitsipas and the struggles there, but the credit where credit's deserved. Monfils, given the foot injury, given his age, still as athletic as ever, probably the most athletic player that's ever graced the tennis court. But I couldn't get over how sharp his tactics were. He ramped up the aggression in that, the aggressive style in that Tsitsipas match, Lucas. He really outsmarted him on the biggest and baddest points. And suddenly Monfils is back into the third round of a Masters event. It's truly amazing to see. And and what I was impressed with was afterwards, Gail talking about just how much he still loves to play, to compete, and to be out there entertaining the crowd and and just showcasing still amazing shots. And the fact of the matter is, I mean, you talked earlier about my my memories of this tournament. I remember watching Gail Malfi playing Novak Djokovic here in 2014. Mm. They had, they had an epic three set match. And, and I mean, that was nine years ago, right. And it's still Gail Malfi is here and still playing really well. So it's interesting because he had a really tight three-setter against Chris Eubanks, who just made the Wimbledon quarterfinal. He somehow wins that. He wins a routine match against Stefano Zitsipas. So now he now he has he plays Alexander Vukic. I mean, that's a winnable match for him if, if, if he's healthy and, and can play his game. And, mm-hmm. man, I, I, I could not have predicted before no. the tournament started Gail Malfi potentially a quarterfinalist yeah. in Toronto <laughs> at an ATP Masters 1000. It's remarkable. Yeah, I mean, DC, he was playing well, ran into it against Greeks poor, got a little tired, we would think, with the injury. It's ex- it's acceptable, but yeah, he's moving as spry as ever. And no, I, I also think in a weird way, getting, you know, knowing that you're older, knowing that the, the end of the road is coming, he is a smarter tennis player out there in the sense that he doesn't have to empty the tank every single time. He can be selective. And in the match against Sitsipas, he he really did outsmart him there. It was uh, phenomenal to see. Sitsipas is kind of an interesting, he's interesting in a lot of ways, Lucas, but also the fact that from tournament to tournament, week to week, there are dips in his game. I, I do think, though, that working with Mark Fulpusis as the lead guy is going to help him. But I would also caution that long, you know, long term is where the goal is. It's tough to have an immediate coaching uh, advantage right away. I agree. Certainly, working with a Wimbledon finalist is going to help. And I think the context here being also is that since the past just won the Los Cabos Open last week, coming into mm-hmm. Canada. So, so I think you know maybe he was you know still celebrating that. But look, I mean, Stefanos. Earlier this year, making an Australian Open final, 
I still think he he's always a factor on the hard courts to me. And and, and we're going to see maybe Cincinnati will have a deeper result there. And, and hopefully that will serve as good preparation heading into the U.S. Open, the final slam of the yep. year. Yeah, he's another one with that forehand and some of the weapons that if he yeah. does put it all together and he has that two-week run in a major, it would not shock anyone to see him go the distance. Uh, the other veteran I wanted to give props to, obviously, Andy Murray. Yep. He got a tough one against Sinner coming up, but into the third round, battling away. He's just the ultimate tennis fighter in this sense. And Lucas, he's up to number 36 in the live ranking. So the chase for him is getting to that top 32 or around that range, get a seat at the U.S. Open. It's just this long process for Murray, right? Like he's had all the hip surgeries, he's continuing to battle, and he's still a tough out at at any single event. Certainly. And what was so fascinating to me, Mitch, is yesterday he's on court one. It's not even the grandstand. It's not even center court. He's on court one, which is this intimate court here yeah. on the grounds where you know the fans feel like they're all on top of each other watching it. And for him to come back from down a break in the third set against an opponent in Max Purcell who just beat Felix, he's a difficult opponent, just shows you who Andy Murray is. And, and, and just the fact of the matter is this is someone that loves tennis as well and is just still so motivated to compete and grind. I mean, there are moments where you feel like, oh, is he going to keel over because it's just you know physically too much for him, but he still finds a way and still showcases that relentless defense that's been a trademark for him throughout his career. So it's great to see Andy Murray playing well, and, and you can just, again, see how much he loves to play mm -hmm. this game and is still very hungry for, for, for more success and more terrific results. I would think that would be, you know, worse for the opponent, right? Putting him on court yeah. one, you're going to upset him a little more and he's going to fight even harder. But no, I, I agree. I think it's inspiring to see someone that wants to just keep it going and could have easily taken the, the stage left door and just walked away. But that said, center's a tough match because that win over Berrettini was impressive. I was running the numbers before we started. Center has 22 hardcore wins this year. And say what you want about maybe some of the short fallings and big tournaments. He's unbelievably consistent in getting to the quarterfinals of majors. And he's ramped his year up for this point. Everyone talks about the Alcaraz match last year at the U.S. Open, but this is kind of a reoccurring thing with him. He is peaking later in the year. Good to be young, obviously. But center's a real threat here, and he's got the game to really make waves, not just in Toronto, but beyond. Oh, for sure. And, and, and Yannick, I spoke with him before the tournament and, and he talked about how he learned a lot from that epic quarterfinal at the U S open against Carlos. And you know, that went into the wee hours of the morning and, he, and you could just see that working with Darren Cahill has just helped them so much. They have a really great relationship. They, they seem to have a lot of fun together. And I just think for him having the chance to also practice with some top players, he practiced Milos Raonic before the tournament started mm -hmm. That's just going to help him so much. And, and and I just think this is someone who's really hungry mm -hmm. to be there in the mix, to to win these big matches, and to thrive on tennis's biggest stages. So it's going to be a fantastic test for him because I think the crowd is probably going to be a lot of Andy Murray supporters at center court tonight wanting to see him continue on and have this miracle run. But for Yannick, it's just a matter about playing his game and, I just think he's he's ready for this test. Yeah, I, I can't wait to watch it. It's another opportunity for both these players to show up and show out. And I do think Yannick Sinner is one that I know the ranking hasn't been there. There's been some injuries. There was that dip after the U.S. Open. But he's on the short list of players that can challenge and go deep consistently at each major. Uh, Lucas, before we wrap this up, this has been a blast talking with Lucas Weiss here on Tennis Channel Insight. And other players to monitor still alive and beyond can't forget about, obviously, Medvedev. He's you know a hard-court machine and somehow still flying under the radar. I don't understand it. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it, it's amazing, right? I mean, you, you know, he wins here in Canada. He's won in Cincinnati. He's a U.S. Open champion. And he was actually on the grandstand court yesterday. So he'll be on. He'll be second on center as we're recording this on Thursday after the Milos Raonic match. But I was impressed because I watched Medvedev practice with Alcaraz on the weekend, you know, number one seed, number two seed practicing. And Medvedev is still that human wall yeah. on 
hard courts and he loves the hard courts when it just feels so comfortable for him, the surface and his game, you know, I, I feel like all roads might be leading to an Alcaraz Medvedev final here in Toronto, which would be amazing. Yeah. And I think for Daniil, anytime it's a hard court, he's always a factor here. And it will be interesting to see how he performs against Lorenzo Musetti as we're recording this on Thursday. But don't count out also Casper Ruud. I mean, he, he's someone that made the U.S. Open final a year ago. He, he's made a couple slam finals at, at the French Open. And he's definitely motivated to still be in that mix of some of the yeah. younger guys. So don't count out Casper as well. I feel like that's what happens. Everyone just counts. That's his brain. Everyone <laughs> yeah. counts out Casper Ruud. And he's just into a semifinal and a final. I, yeah. I agree with you there. I think Medvedev, too. The court speed, obviously, is the big thing with him, right? If it's a slow court like Indian Wells, not a great matchup with Alcaraz. Has some chances against him on faster courts, and then, you know, just how consistent he is. It's If you've ever played tennis, you know that a guy like Medvedev is just going to wear you down. Like, four-all, five-all, that's when oh, yeah. he just wears you down. Uh, just uh, another one there. And I also got to throw out some players, too, the, the American side, Taylor Fritz, if yep. he can put it all together. Talk about a great player on a fast court, especially Tommy Paul had the big win yesterday too. So there's some Americans that can make some waves. I'm looking at Fritz though. He had a he had a subpar by his standards US Open series last year. This is a chance to right the ship. Oh, no question. And and look for Fritz. I think that was a really impressive win on, on the grandstand in the three sets against Ugo Umber. He has a tough one today as we're recording this against Alex de Manure. So mm -hmm. look for Fritz. It's just a matter of again getting those match experiences. I think he had a wild city open in Washington where he played a couple of days, but he, he beat Andy Murray. So I think for Fritz, he, he's trending in the right direction. And again, don't forget it was just a little over a year ago. He wins at Indian Wells being Rafa Nadal. So I think American tennis fans are waiting for the big breakthrough hot moment to happen in, in New York at the U S open. And hopefully Fritz can do that. Hopefully he can demon hour next. As you mentioned, that was his hardest match at Indian Wells. These two just yeah. battle demon hours are just a relentless competitor. That's how I would describe him. And, For sure. And I look at somebody, you know, and I look at this tournament, we can end here. This is the post big three. I know Djokovic is still there. We're not sure about Rafa, but Alcaraz enters as the overwhelming favorite. And until someone proves from the, his generation or, you know, the one slightly above him that they could beat him. This is the environment we're in where Alcaraz is the guy. Let's see if somebody can take a big title from him, go through him. Exciting to kind of find this out this week. Like I said to start the pod, Mitch, it's an exciting time in men's tennis and the sport's in good hands. Lucas Weiss from uh, The Athletic and covering the National Bank Open in Toronto. Where else can we find your stuff and what else do you have uh, professionally coming up? Yeah, I mean, you, you can follow me on Twitter at Weiss Sports. That's at W-E-E-S-E -E -E Sports. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. You can find me there. And you can also find my written work at The Athletic. Can't wait to see how this tournament shakes out. We're going to follow you on all those platforms as well. Lucas Weiss, thanks for coming on Tennis Channel Inside In. It was my pleasure, Mitch. Thanks so much for having me. That's it for this week's episode of Tennis Channel Inside In. Thanks again to both guests, Andrea Pekovic and Lucas Weiss. It was a pleasure talking tennis with both of them. That's what this show does. It brings you perspectives from all around the world, united by our love of this beautiful, beautiful sport. Tennis Channel Inside In returns next week. Every Thursday is when each episode drops. And you can find them on all your podcast platforms. Go to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, whichever you prefer. Just subscribe, leave a rating, a review. It's that simple. And check out the entire catalog of shows on our podcast network by going to tennis.com slash podcasts. I'll talk to you next week as we gear up for Cincinnati. We have the U.S. Open Series in full effect. You never know what drama the sport of tennis will bring. For Andrea Pekovic and Lucas Weiss, my name is Mitch Michaels. This was Tennis Channel Inside In. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.